Hello, and welcome back to this podcast series, where we look at interesting or useful things in the world of pharmacy, and try to cover them in a nice and concise eight-minute podcast. This week, we're going to try and go a bit critical appraisally, and have a look at a new-ish product that's been recently-ish reviewed by NICE, so that we can look at the data and see if we come to the same conclusions, check our critical thinking skills, as it were. So the medicine that we're going to be looking at this week is imlifidase, which at first glance is a bit of a weird choice, what with it being a medicine used in renal transplantation, so something that the majority of us will never see in our lives. But there is some logic to picking it. For a start, Google suggests it's £135,000 a vial, so there must be something in there to talk about. Plus we get to talk about why the pharmaceutical industry sometimes do inexplicable things to horses and rabbits, how nice publications are sometimes less helpful than you might like, and just how far the term commercially confidential can actually be stretched. So we'll follow the normal format we do for these, and run through a bit about the product and what problem it's solving. Then look at the data as shared by NICE, TA809 from July 2022 if you want to play along and have a look first, and then talk about limitations and what we might learn from the whole thing. So the world we're working in today is renal transplantation, and the problem we're trying to solve is transplant rejection where the body recognises the transplanted organ as a bad invading thing that it needs to kill and sends out a profound immune response. So as you'll know already, for most patients who have a transplant, they need to go on to immunosuppressive treatments to try and reduce the chances of this rejection occurring, and that's even with closely matched individuals where the donor and the recipient are similar. To reduce the risks, transplant teams try to match donors closely. This is known as human leukocyte antigen, or HLA matching where the antigens possessed by both parties match, reducing the risk of the transplant being flagged as not supposed to be here by the recipient's immune system. However, as medical science continues to progress, waiting lists for donors continue to grow, and unfortunately some patients end up staying on dialysis for extended periods waiting for a suitable close match, in some cases deteriorating to such a point that they are no longer suitable candidates for the surgery, even in the unlikely case that a matched donor is found for them. So the plan within Lifidase is to try to provide a route to selectively wipe out the recipient's immune system in a profound way, such that the recipients who are sensitive to a wide panel of HLA types can have a chance of getting a transplant by having a suboptimal HLA match transplant without the risk of significant graft-versus-host disease, which is considered a worthwhile aim. Now there's already things in this area, like monoclonal antibodies, MAPs, so patients before transplant may get basiliximab, which stops T-cell proliferation, or alemtuzumab that flags lymphocytes expressing CD52 for destruction, so severely damping down the immune response by knocking out these immune cells. More interestingly, we also have polyclonal antibodies, as opposed to monoclonal antibodies, against thymocytes, the precursors for T-cells. The reason they're interesting is that whereas the monoclonal antibodies basiliximab and alemtuzumab are kind of engineered to do what they do, the polyclonal antibodies are naturally produced and harvested for a given value of natural. Basically, they get a rabbit or a horse and inject it with human thymocytes. Because the thymocytes are from a different species, the rabbit or horse mounts an immune response. The resultant antibodies are then harvested and then put back into a human to wipe out their native thymocytes and so T-cells. Science is cool, but not really vegan-friendly. So we have these options already, so where does imlifidase fit in? Well, as you can tell from the name, imlifidase, it's an enzyme that does some cleaving on metabolism, like alteplase does on plasminogen, and rasburicase does on uric acid. And the thing it cleaves is naturally occurring IgG. 
the antibody that floats around and attaches itself to things that it thinks shouldn't be there with its Fab region. And then its FC region is spotted by those passing T cells and other things to then attack. It does this by lopping off the FC region completely. So even though the Fab region does attach to the transplanted tissue, the T cells and other immune pathways don't spot the tissue as flagged, so just walk on by. It therefore works at a higher point in the attack the transplant cascade, so hopefully will be an effective treatment, converting HLA mismatched donor recipient pairs into HLA matched pairs, which is a good thing. So coming on to the important question, does it actually work? Well, this is where we turn to the nice appraisal and run into problems. As you'll appreciate, the population eligible for trials in this area is small, so this isn't going to be RCT gold standard stuff here. However, it's difficult to get a placebo response to graft versus host disease, so we're probably okay with a lack of blinding. Also, comparing to historic controls rather than having a no treatment group is probably acceptable. However, the main outcome that we might care about is the long-term prognosis of a graft. So what happens over 5, 10 or 15 years? What we have is a time horizon of up to 180 days, which NICE do flag as being a bit short. However, you can't wait 15 years for more data before reviewing a potentially helpful treatment, so NICE needed to work with what it had. But what's possibly the biggest difficulty for us is the dreaded commercially confidential statements within the NICE TA. And for imlifidase, these are surprisingly broad. How many people were in the analysis? I'm afraid that's commercially confidential. How well did it work in the longer term? Well, that's also commercially confidential too. So what was the rate of antibody-mediated rejection in this data? Afraid we can't say. It's commercially confidential again. Well, there's some suggestion that longer survival data was extrapolated from what we have using the cool-sounding iBox predictive model. How did you do that? Again, sorry, it's a proprietary tool and the inner workings just can't be shared. It's commercially confidential. Well, at least you could maybe tell us if it's cost-effective. How much would you have to pay to gain one quality-adjusted life here in the target population? Nope, that's confidential too. But we can say it's cost-effective if you buy it at a particular reduced price. But we can't tell you what that price is, because guess what? Exactly. So where does that leave us? Well, it sounds like a useful potential treatment, and it has the potential to allow people who, because they are highly HLA-sensitised, have a much reduced chance of a matched transplant to have a transplant. However, unfortunately, all the data to help convert this potentiality into being able to have a look at whether it would work in the real world is inside a commercially confidential vault. NICE have seen it and believes it's true, but it kind of goes against the principles of science, which needs scrutiny and the ability to be challenged for it to be science, to have these locked boxes of stuff that we need to just take on trust. It also helps, if you're going to be buying the product, to be able to know what price you should be buying it at. Just saying. However, the NICE guidance is based on what's known at the current time, and they do recognise that there's significant uncertainties around the evidence base, particularly around the long-term effectiveness. There's such a large number of confounding factors that impact on the global outcome for a patient and variable weightings for different outcomes, and so few patients that waiting for more trials isn't really a viable option. NICE therefore haven't done the wrong thing by approving it, it's just that it's a shame that we can't look into the data for ourselves. If you happen to be a decision maker in a pharma company about whether particular data sets are commercially confidential or not, I'd be really grateful if you'd err on the side of sharing rather than the side of caution. What harm would there be in just being that little bit more open? What we can say now is that imlifidase looks expensive, but potentially effective according to experts. It'll be interesting to come back in five years and see whether what we hoped would be provided by imlifidase actually happens in a real-world setting. Until then, thanks for listening and see you next time.